0: This is WVEWLP, Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at wvew.org. And this is Indigo Radio, deepening, understanding, making connections. We are on the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. Also, our shows are recorded and will be uploaded to our SoundCloud and iTunes after the show. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not the radio station. And this is Anna for Indigo Radio, and we have an all-new show for you today in honor of Indigenous Day that will be observed tomorrow. In Vermont, we have been observing Indigenous Peoples' Day for about four years. And then last year, October 2019, it was signed into law that permanently recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day and abolishing Columbus Day in the state of Vermont, which is a trend really gaining traction in a lot of states nationwide. And today we're going to air a conversation that I held with four of my undergrad students at UMass Amherst. I teach a introduction to public health class at UMass, and I have first-year students this semester. We're going to go to a song, and then we're going to be back with the interview with my students. This is A Tribe Called Red with Electric Pow Wow. is A Tribe Called Quest, and this is Anna with Indigo Radio. We are going to go straight to my interview with my UMass first-year students. I am here with four of my first-year students that attend UMass Amherst, and they're all in my Introduction to Public Health class. We've been doing a lot around understanding health as not just the absence of disease uh, and thinking through the patterns of disease and and suffering. We're going to spend the hour talking about that, especially as it relates to Indigenous health, as Indigenous Day is uh, coming up tomorrow. So I just thought I'd have you introduce yourselves. And I think the best way to do this, since we're all on Zoom, is me just call your name. So Nayara, why don't I just start with you, and you can tell us anything you'd like to, and maybe where you're sitting tonight. Where are you? So I'm
1: Nayara Rodriguez. I'm a public health major and I'm from Arlington,
0: Massachusetts. Okay, I'll go up to Bula.
2: I'm Bula Estefanos. I'm a biochemistry molecular biology major. i from Chelmsford, Massachusetts.
3: Okay, and Katie? So I'm Katie Zof. I am from Bethel, Connecticut, uh, and I don't exactly know what I'm majoring in yet.
0: Okay, and Brianna, will you introduce yourself where you're sitting?
4: My name is Verona Joseph. I'm a biology major, and I am in Brockton, Massachusetts.
0: Great. Well, thank you all for spending this evening with me. I would just actually love to start off the show by getting thoughts from you. We're in an unusual time, of course, and I'm guessing or assuming that you all finished up uh, high school online, uh, and then you've entered into your first year of college completely online UMass is mostly remote if not all remote I think how has that been for you all
2: the school work hasn't been bad for me it's just adjusting and to living from home and like not seeing people usually at school is like one of the main social points in my life and not being able to see people is just tough mentally
4: yeah
0: Nayara Brianna do you want to challenging for me because um My
1: high school did something a little bit different, so it wasn't required that I take any, continue to take my classes during the lockdown and stuff. So I actually stopped school completely in March. So starting college just like after like six months or something without doing any work at all um, was a giant transition. But so far I feel like, because I have to rely on myself a lot more because it's just like, it's just me in here doing my schoolwork. I've kind of adopted better practices than I had in high school, like actually using an agenda book and a calendar to plan out my
0: day and stuff. Brianna, how are you doing on online, online learning?
4: It's been a, kind of difficult because my workload is actually kind of big um, because of the amount of take classes that I'm taking. And I'm taking the bare minimum, which is kind of crazy. And I've bought some classes. right now for my major and concentration and I feel like I'm kind of teaching myself which is difficult for my asynchronous classes and I don't have a degree in education so I don't know this is material that I'm unfamiliar with and is of a much higher I don't know difficulty level than I'm used to so it's Mm -hmm. very difficult and also trying to get involved on campus with groups that I'm interested in while they're Mm -hmm. fully remote is also hard so I'm hanging in there it's not totally bad I've met some new people online and it's been kind of fun getting to know people in like a new way
3: Corona has, it's messed with, like, a lot of my plans, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm at home, you know, not as independent as I would like to be right now. I wanted to cut all my hair off, but uh, with everything closed down, I don't want to, like, go out and do it. But I'm, I also don't want to, like, get a really short haircut by myself. And then there's, um, you know, on Zoom, everyone knows Catherine is a girl's name, but I don't prefer girl pronouns. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's a little difficult because I get uh, misgendered a lot.
0: Okay, so what I was thinking is that with Indigenous Day coming up, that it would be a good time to do a show on what we've been learning in class. And we had done some thinking and learning about Indigenous health, especially around diabetes and the extremely high rates of diabetes within Indigenous communities. I had you all watch a documentary called Bad Sugar, and then you got in groups and you recorded a conversation about your learning and your, your thinking around that. I think before we go into what was some of the learning and thoughts you have, I would love to have you talk about your prior learning on indigenous populations, because in a lot of the conversations that you had, and I actually went back and listened to excerpts of them today, is that um, Katie you used this term that a lot of your learning around indigenous people had been just glossed over is what you you said. And Bula, you had said it it wasn't really talked about in school and a lot of people within our class had reiterated that. And Brianna, I'm actually gonna direct this to you first. Uh, You had said that, you said there were high levels of erasure. Could you talk about what you meant by that and just some of your learning and then others can jump in about what they learned or what they didn't learn?
4: What I mainly meant by high levels of erasure is we basically didn't learn anything about their culture, their language, meaning their language, what they wore, how they interacted with each other, their religion or religious beliefs, what community meant to them and family structure, basically anything that makes a culture we didn't learn outside of Thanksgiving and outside of the context of colonization. And even the conversation around that made it sound like they needed to be colonized to become more advanced and to be fit to join greater society And this is basically implying that they were inherently inferior. I think that's what I got out of my education. Mm -hmm. And then you have our popular culture, which just shows in a particular way. I think of movies like Pocahontas, which while may not seem so evil, it's really insidious in the way that it portrays Native Americans and their relationship to Europeans, their history and their culture wasn't really important outside Mm -hmm. of their interactions with Europeans and, you know, white Americans.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Just jumping off of that in uh, the conversation that I had with my group, we talked about you know our uh, prior uh, knowledge of Native Americans and you know all that we could really like you know come up with was cops and Indians and uh, that was like you know as a child, kind of what you knew. and then growing up, you maybe learned that there were casinos there because it was a reservation and not technically part of the United States. The Trail of Tears was the only thing in school that we learned about. And even then it was only a day of we took the Native Americans and gave them their own land somewhere else and uh, it didn't describe anywhere near the amount of struggle and emotional turmoil and death that they must have gone through.
1: Mm -hmm. First thing that comes to mind when I think of Native Americans and it's unfortunate that this is the first thing that comes to mind in elementary school we took a field trip to Plymouth Plantation. It's this little area in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and you walk around with your class and you see Native Americans native not really Native Americans, but actors doing what you know Native Americans were thought to be doing back then and then you also have a little settlement that you walk to um, and you see the settlers and their lifestyle too that I'm thinking about it now you know as a kid I was really excited to go but I know that it's not (laughs) as pleasant as it seems to me you know being a third grader going on the field trip there's a lot of turmoil and stuff that just wasn't taught to us especially as little kids and then getting to high school um, we only really talked about Native Americans in a very like small portion of the curriculum and the rest was just dedicated to imperialism and nationalism and things like that and it's very unfortunate that the Native Americans were a huge part of this country, and they get relegated to a small portion of land that they once own, and a small portion of the history textbooks as well.
2: Mm. Yeah, I was born in Egypt, so like my first exposure to Native Americans was Tom and Jerry, which depicts them as like savages, kind of. It's comedic when you watch it, but it's also the like savagery and how they're depicted. And then when I came here, I started learning about them, and but it seemed like they were more like a a momentary interaction basically with Europeans or the history of white people in the U S. So it it was kind of like, yes, we talked about it for like a couple of days, but then we stopped talking about it. And what I assumed was, okay, they, they got their reservations and they basically like continued their culture and way of life on those reservations without issues, but separated from the rest of like American society, which wasn't, the case and the first time I actually learned that was uh, one time I had a, an English sub and she made us read like a small story about them.
1: Way are way away. Way are way away. Skena
3: <laughs> gan
0: wood from an album on Indigenous women's songs, and you're listening to Indigo Radio. We are spending the hour with my UMass students that are taking an introduction to public health class, and we're going to go into a section talking about their learnings on Indigenous health. Okay, so I want to move into a little bit about your learnings from Bad Sugar and to think about how they contradict the either misinformation or lack of information that we all received in schooling. And I, I include myself in that too. As some of you know, I moved to the U.S. when I was 10 from Australia, and I I don't have much learning at all about the Indigenous people of that land. Or I, I've now discovered more as I'm into adulthood, but that wasn't something I remember much in my schooling. So we watched Bad Sugar, which concentrates on the Pima Indians and the Tahono to- Indians of Uh, Southern Arizona, and that have really high rates of type two diabetes, some of the highest rates in the world. And they talk about how um, children's rates are really climbing rapidly. So I would love just to hear what were some of the
3: biggest takeaways from that movie. I think the first takeaway that we could go with here is that it's not being Native American, making them more susceptible to diabetes. It's the conditions that they've been put under as they've been oppressed and pushed onto reservations and given food that's high in sugar and not exactly fresh and healthy. It's not that they're genetically more inclined to have diabetes. It's that they're living in an environment where what they're being fed and the only things that they have to eat are what's contributing to their high rates of diabetes.
2: I definitely agree with Katie and I think my biggest takeaway was uh, how ineffective compensatory action is compared to uh, preventative action. These are issues that like we've talked about like how we harmed Native Americans uh, throughout history and these issues like cascaded from the time that we started harming them to now and we haven't really addressed the Address the issue itself from its roots. We've been just focusing on treating the individual, but as soon as you treat one person, there are many more that get affected by the issue because it's still ongoing.
1: Um, And in the documentary as well, they were talking about like if diet and exercise doesn't help, then they're prescribed medication. But the thing with that is, there's a ton of issues with getting medication first off. They're living on a reservation where they're far off from jobs um, in other cities. Um, And so in the documentary that we saw, their houses just were kind of crumbling. And it was very unfortunate to see that happen. And I think it comes with, Katie mentioned this earlier, We used to think that Native Americans, they opened up casinos and stuff on reservations and used to think, oh, they're like, they have a ton of money. They own a giant hotel with casinos and they make a ton of money. But that is not true, not at all. There's so many Native Americans that just don't quite have anything compared to um, people who are living in, in cities that are federally controlled. So when it comes to medicine how are they going to get more medicine and are the doctors that are there sure that medicine is the best means of controlling this and then they're just going to need it for the rest of their life and it's quite it's quite saddening mm.
4: for me maybe think of passivity and how we've been tricked into believing that Native Americans kind of just allowed things to happen to them but when the person that they was talking about how they want to be empowered and how they want to help themselves. I found that to be extremely important and maybe think about the roots of why they were in the situation that they were in. The reality of the situation to me is that somebody profited off of their suffering then now, and it will continue to happen if something doesn't stop their source of water was diverted from them to richer cities. So for leisurely things such as casinos, swimming pools, fountains, while they couldn't even, you know, work their own land that they had been doing for hundreds of years. And like they are mentioned with medication somebody's making money off of them needing medication for a disease that is completely preventable should they have access to the diet that they originally had before colonization. It really, for me, struck home because they weren't suffering for no reason. Nobody wants to suffer like this. There are things we can do, but I left with more questions than answers is basically what I'm saying.
0: The thing you said about passivity, how does that, we just did this reading this week on blame the victim. Do any of you want to talk about how that ties in? And Brianna, you can continue, or if anyone else wants to talk about that.
3: It's a, a cycle of uh, the individual, fixing the individual instead of fixing the root of the problem. It's saying that, well, because Native Americans are more susceptible, so this is what they, sh- they should do, which isn't getting to the root of the problem. Right, because um,
0: diabetes is a, a as we learn, is um, a fairly new thing. Like it goes back a, a couple generations, I think, maybe, I think the, they said the last 40 years. And so it's not something that they've always suffered from at such high rates.
3: And so that yeah. begs the question of, yeah, why? Like what, what changed, right? Yeah, the, uh, the, the focus of victim blaming is to take the, uh, the focus off of the problem and put it onto the victim's which is what they're doing here. They're saying, well, you're genetically more inclined to get it. So of course, it's nobody else's fault but your own in a way, um, which is not true.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And when you shift the blame, you also
4: shift the responsibility to fix the problem. So you take it off of yourself or off of the person who's causing the pain onto the person who's suffering. Mm-hmm.
2: To put that into more perspective, I feel like, so talk also about passivity. The people who the system have has been working for or have been benefiting off of it would then like refute that argument uh, by saying like, okay, well, it's working for us. How come it's not like, and the government is trying to help you or the food that they're getting from the government is actually harming them because it's not necessarily healthy.
0: Can any of you tell me that if you remember the example of fried bread and how that helps you understand history and why history is important to like our understanding?
1: They kind of had to make do with what they had. They don't have the resources that they used to have anymore. I remember talking about the market and how it had this small, tiny little produce section. They're very limited in what they can do. And so they had to you know, make the fried bread because it's something that could sustain them. That was very cheap, but it wasn't the healthiest and it wasn't what they're what their ancestors were pretty much used to. But in my mind, it makes me think that the government gave them all these unhealthy foods and things to keep them from, it's like how we had this reading a long time ago about Upper Silesia and how they were given and to keep them docile. And that's almost what this is making me think of right now.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nayara, I'm going to direct this to you, and then the other other people can weigh in. In your group discussion, you brought up a question that you had that I feel is really important. You said, is there a way to benefit without making someone else lose something? And I want to ask you where that question came from. I think it just
1: came from the fact that our government is very much... Run by money is what I'll say. It's pretty much life, honestly. Anything you do, money is involved and makes it very tough to do anything when you don't really have the means to do it. But when I asked that question, I was thinking about, oh, the water. Right, the water and how they, I believe it was the Pima They diverted their water supply, which they had used for generations. Um, The woman in the documentary was talking about how it was basically their way of life, their bloodline. It was everything that their culture stood for. And when the water was diverted, it it wasn't necessarily diverted for the best of reasons. It was for a selfish reason because they wanted that water to be given to running like homes and other businesses that needed the water and then by doing so you're helping out those other business but what are you but what are you doing for the Native Americans you're um, taking away something that meant deeply to them and giving it to people who might be taking advantage of it
4: I think another thing is like just add on to that the word empower to me has the word power in it which means a shift of power you're giving power away to somebody else. And to do that, you have to lose a little bit yourself, if that makes any sense. Somebody at the top wants to empower somebody who's below them. It's going to have to give up a little bit of that control that they have over them in order for them to empower themselves or to gain in power even if over just their own lives.
0: Bula, do you have it, anything to add right here? I want to check in with you here.
2: It reminds me of the example of the typhi- typhus epidemic uh, we talked about.
0: Now. Yeah,
2: Yeah. and how... Uh, money like circulates from the poor to the rich again a good example of the people at the bottom are losing still which which they don't have much to lose
0: explain that a little bit you said the money circulates from the poor or, to, to the wealthy to, yeah tell me a, tell me explain that more in in relation to the virchow upper salacia and the typhus what Where's that coming from in your head? I, I want to see what you're- um,
2: I think it was because uh, the farmers were working their entire lives basically. And it was uh, just to make crops that the people at the top would like sell and benefit more from than the farmers themselves. And in this example, it's not necessarily money, but, um, but also the water and the land that they were taken, uh, that was taken from them and they were left with nothing basically it doesn't just have to be money but it's just things are being taken from the poor and it's being it's easy to do that.
0: Okay, Brianna, I actually want to stay on you. You had said in your group your group <laughs> conversation huh? you said that the and I I'm not quoting you directly because I don't have it right here in front of me, but you had said something to the effect of the US is a third world country with the Gucci belt on.
4: Oh my gosh, I didn't say that. I said that because there are examples of extreme excess and scarcity, oftentimes in the same places. And there are parts of this country that could literally qualify as being third world countries. Staying on the Native American reservations, for example, a lot of these places are lacking basic infrastructure, access to healthcare, decent education. There's the most basic resources. And these are things that we usually berate other countries for. Mm -hmm. And we get a superiority complex over. And I just find it a little ridiculous. I mean, There are times where I'm out in Boston, which has a very high cost of living, and you'll be on Newberry Street with some of the most expensive stores in the state. And then you'll turn the corner and there's literal homelessness. It's kind of scary. And I looked it up, actually, but in Massachusetts, there are four Native American reservations, one of which being in Eastern Mass, three being in Western Massachusetts. I believe there's one in Berkshire County and one in Norfolk County. Here we have these reservations. I don't know how things are exactly on there. There isn't much I could find, but they're in a state that's considered extremely progressive with a lot of money or with more money in relation to other states. And I just find that kind of crazy, to be mm. quick, right? for lack of a better word.
0: Well, I also think this goes back to, again, Nay- Nayara, your question, uh, is there a way to benefit without making someone else lose something within this particular society? And I think that the other way or question I would have around that a little bit tied to what you were saying is when we think about going back to the example of what we learned with diabetes and indigenous populations, and they also talked about extraction um, of resources that benefited a, a number of people. You talked about the water, and then you see like the pools and the golf courses. So there's an extraction of a resource, which is water, in order to benefit uh, a different group of people. And so, can you have wealth without uh, having poverty? And going off that, I want one of the things that we've been talking about in class a lot is understanding what we mean when we say the political, social, economic origins of suffering and disease. And I'm wondering, what does that mean to any of, of you? And, and if, I think you've already brought some good examples from class. What else is like swimming around in your head or that you're trying to work out with when we say that political, economic, social origins of suffering? Bula, well, uh, let's start with you.
2: I guess it just like, for me, I guess it's just an indicator, basically, that there's an issue in either the economic system or uh, the social uh, system that's leading to widespread disease in uh, a group of people. And that's you, it usually affects people of like lower income or minorities, and uh, we talked about, or that could be observed in this example with the diabetes in uh, Native Americans, but also alcoholism among uh, people with lower income, or the working class in Europe too, uh, and how that was, or also the, the fried bread, with the native americans that was like an unhealthy thing but it was also their way of dealing with their with the pressure from social
0: well and and those were the when you talk about the fried bread those were the ingredients that they had yeah and and i know bully you had talked you actually had talked yourself before around understanding choice like what is choice and those were the choices that they had and so then fried bread became part of their quote unquote culture that, that a lot of us think that's like some sort of long-term historical thing, right? It emerges out of history, but out of a certain set of conditions that are actually tied to colonization. There's something else that, and maybe someone else can pick up on this, but what boy you just brought in is that we had read the working class conditions in England, right? Yep. And you just mentioned al- the use of alcohol. Does someone want to talk about that and how that it helps you understand the political, economic, social origins.
2: Because in the case of the working class in England, they didn't enjoy much. They, they knew basically their lives were shortened by working so much, and they suffered a lot in the industries they worked in. And so there, there were a lot of these social stressors, and it was also a, like a stressor because they were of that economic class. So the only thing that they had to enjoy was like alcohol, and that took that weight off of them, basically, and t- enjoying alcohol led to alcoholism, and it just, it's a cycle that uh, depreciates your life, I guess.
4: And to add on to that, I remember we was said either in a video or in the article that the working class couldn't be blamed for their addictions to things like alcohol and other um, coping mechanisms because it's only a response to the oppressive life that they're living, and you know, being a working class person, there isn't much opportunity for like class mobility, especially upper class mobility. So, you know, they couldn't be blamed for their alcoholism or their drunkenness because it was literally something created by society as a response to what society has done to them.
0: Yeah, right. And, and so what were the solutions that, that he puts forth in that piece? If you're going on, just going along that train of thought and it, it's similar to the blame the victim, if we're saying, okay, it's not the fault because they're under these certain conditions that um, influence and determine then their actions outside of work, where does actually the blame lie
3: and what then needs to change? I think the blame would almost lie in the uh, the, the people who are uh, abusing, I guess, um, taking advantage of, that's the word, A taking advantage of uh, the people that are below them because uh, you've got You've got the working class having to work all of these hours to make enough money to live. I believe that there could be wealth without poverty because there are people at the top who have such a large amount of money that they are never going to need and their children are never going to need. How did they get that money? By taking advantage of people below them, by making people work for them less than what their work is worth, and then taking the money. And that adds up over time, especially when you have a large company with lots of employees.
0: Wait, so just to go back, why,
3: why or how are you saying there can be wealth and not poverty? There's, there's a way for people to, not like in our society, but if there, were, if there were more regulations on living wage versus minimum wage, if the minimum that people were being paid was a living wage. Which could be possible, I think, with the amount of money that goes directly into, like you know, the one percent kind of thing. Mm. I know that was—I was, was just—I was just thinking about that, going back to the um, mm-hmm. what was it, wealth without poverty.
4: Mm-hmm. I think that there could um, be wealth. Oh, I'm sorry, I cut you off. I was there could be wealth, but not extreme wealth, because there's a certain level of profit that you're going to stop at when you start paying people what they're worth, like Catherine said, and what their work is worth. So I believe that I don't know if wealth in the way that we're seeing it today would exist if exploitation completely stopped and if people's health and well-being was actually made a priority. Because I don't think there's enough money. There's really no money to be made in helping people in the way that they really need, if that makes sense.
0: We also, I mean, this is interesting. We also attach the word wealth to money because we live within uh, a capitalist economic system. And so automatically our brains go to wealth means the accumulation of money and, and having money and having more, like having more than we need. So when I think, as a public health person, when I think about healthy communities and health for all, health to me would then be a part of our overall like, well-being. And is there a world that we can imagine that isn't about profit made on the backs of others? And has that, ha- have there been different places that have looked differently than this time? I mean, we're, we're talking about the indigenous and indigenous way of living was definitely different than how we, how we live now. Right. So I think it's something to like, keep thinking about even Brianna, you you use this term upward mobility, even to think about, is that what we want? Because does that, does that also then presume, um, or it would assume that then there's still people down here for other people who are moving up.
5: Right. They call it a pipeline, but those on the front lines know that black snake was sent for us to grow to shed the skin our ancestors pray of wounds old and calloused, so that we may stay so that we may unite, unity our tool no weapons are found in this court of rule men becoming ki'ai, steadfast in their guard protecting women's hearts as their song become roots roots to cast out healing for all sentient beings to honor sacred mother, heart forward we heal The salmon will run, the mauna will breathe, the rivers will flow. The rainbow is here and prophecy tells us all generations will hear. And our people that been living here for thousands of years Stand up We've been fighting for our freedom Since the Nina and the Pinta and the Santa Maria Stand up Like Geronimo, Sitting Bull, Red Cloud, Crazy Horse, Leonard Peltier. Stand up Now they poisoning the waters for our sons and our daughters So we on the frontier We We want One nation, one one cause, one one people, one one tribe Now it's us against the pipeline Pipeline. Get on your feet for standing rock And we'll show you how strong we could be when we unify To all my native people so yeah. planet earth it's been spinning we've been living and dying but giving birth the first of many nations celebrating them days when all that got made came after what god made these days we cater to these internet memes internet streams it seems them streams aren't clean we need the whole story seen we're hassling before water has gasoline in it X moment. Martin Luther King with a dream and war bonnet. Wounded knee plus Alcatraz dog on it. This is for the rock. With prayers we stand on it. Oh yeah, we playing on it. The earth we camp on it. In a sweat lodge singing our songs with grandfathers' heat rocks all in the spot we splash on them with a beatbox from my boy. We on it. Said a prayer for the black snake killers. Train on the front lines. They are the realest. Stand for your people. Stand for your family. Stand with Standing Rock. Stand for humanity. It, just, it takes a group of people who actually care about. You know, Mother Earth and life and water being sacred and the land being sacred to say we stand up.
4: This is Indigo Radio and this
0: is Anna, and I am spending the hour talking with my UMass first year students about Indigenous health. And you just listened to Stand Up, which was a protest song during the Standing Rock protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline from 2016 to 2017. This last segment of the conversation with my UMass students, we talk about the meaning of solidarity and the abolishment of Columbus Day. Okay, we're coming up on time, but there's still questions. There's a couple. Are you all hanging in there okay? Yeah. Okay. I want to ask one more question. Well, no, there's two more questions I want to ask. (laughs) One is, do you think that Columbus Day should be abolished? Why or why not? should absolutely be abolished. Yeah. Go ahead, Mara, I think that
1: the day in itself needs to be regarded as something else, not Columbus Day as Indigenous Peoples Day, but I think that the history of Columbus needs to be taught, but not as him being a savior, which is how many of us were taught to view him, but as as a conqueror, as this person who was very selfish and would think about how to gain for himself as much as he could. And when you're gaining something, typically you're taking something away from other people. And we need to regard Indigenous people in a way that they have suffered tremendous loss. Their culture is very much... They've just been kind of like, their importance has been diminished in our society and there needs to be a day. And taking out Columbus Day and replacing it with Indigenous Peoples Day in itself is just a very symbolic act. But that day needs to be regarded as a highly important day for us to recognize that these people have suffered a lot of loss, but that their culture is still very important And that people need to think more about about Native Americans and less about what Columbus and the country that he was from gained from it. Mm.
4: I even think the decision to honor Christopher Columbus with a day says something in and of itself. But I think it should be replaced with Indigenous Peoples Day. And we should really give them the freedom to control their own narrative and to tell their own story because it's so important. To be able to tell things how it happened from your point of view and for hundreds of years they just never got that opportunity that they would really deserved and that they were honestly entitled to so i think without question that it should be abolished point blank period and it should be indigenous people's day they've more than earned it this land is technically theirs and they have the right to tell their story
3: the way they want to i think there's so much more history that could be gained out of an indigenous people's day than columbus day like what else are you supposed to learn The names of his three ships were the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, and I know nothing about Native Americans, and I think that has to change.
2: I don't think it's enough just for making, like, Indigenous People's Day. I think there has to be, like, actual change that um, might help them out, because it's like, it feels very superficial, like, that we're celebrating very superficial and hypocritical too, that we're celebrating them, but also they're still suffering and uh, there needs to be more change than just getting rid of that. That's like the bare minimum. And also to answer your uh, other question on blame and who to blame with the alcohol thing or any issue that's like that widespread. I think that should be like, if a teacher has a test and many students fail the test or don't do well, it should be as a red flag to the teacher that the test wasn't like a good indicator or the test wasn't really testing the students well. Like it's not the individual's fault uh, if it was that widespread, like bad grades. Uh, similarly here, it would be like if disease is that widespread and alcoholism is that widespread or whatever it is, then it's a an issue or a failure of the system to help the the people.
0: Okay, I'm glad that you said that at the end because I was going to say, I was going to say take it a step further. Who is that teacher? The teacher is within a school system that enforces the teacher to do grades and testing. Always take it further around, wait, what, what is the system of education that they're in? What is the um, thing about indigenous health? Bringing it back to colonization, thinking about the extraction of land and resources and the dispossession of, of, of people. And that then brings you to this, the systemic and the structural violence, which we've also talked about. Um, The last question I want to ask you all, just in case you have any thoughts on this, I brought this term up and we're going to talk about this more as the semester goes along. And so we haven't gotten there yet. But thinking about what solidarity means to you uh, and thinking about indigenous people, because one thing we haven't talked about today is, but many of you did in your conversations, is the resistance of indigenous people And I know, Brianna, you had brought Standing Rock up. That happened in 2016, 2017. And that there has been a long ongoing history of resistance to colonial forces, um, to neoliberal policies, to all these things that continue to wreak havoc on some communities. Another thing that a number of you brought up, uh, and I think even like told about stories from your own lives, that there's also high rates of diabetes in other racialized minority communities, Um, like African-Americans have higher rates also. And they even say in the movie that there's a commonality of people who have been dispossessed from their land with high rates of diabetes. And so my my last question to all of you is, how are we in solidarity with indigenous people that are still here, and teach us so much. And not only are they suffering, but other people
3: are suffering in this country. So, what does that maybe mean to you? I think it means we have to work with them instead of doing what we think is best for them. I saw an article the other day about the, the Great Father or the, the monument, Washington Monument with the heads. Is that the right name for it? I don't know why I'm blaming on this. Oh. Yes, Mount Rushmore. I saw an article about it where some people were saying that we should blow up the carvings on the face of the mountain um, in order to return it back to a somewhat natural-looking state. But the Native American population that wanted to reclaim that land was adamantly against it because they said the mountain's already been damaged enough, just let it be. Mm. I think solidarity needs support, just like Catherine said
4: not only in terms of resistance and marching and demonstrations, but also in our courthouses and our laws, supporting laws that they support, supporting movements that they support to help make things better for them on a federal scale. Adding to that, I was also thinking a lot about
1: how when people think of how to help, sometimes it can come off very like surface level. Like, for example, um, an Instagram post. Um, while it shows to other people that you care about that. And while in some cases it can bring awareness to more people, it's, I know that people aren't doing it as a, it it almost comes off to me a little bit, I don't know, narcissistic. Yeah, fake, I guess. But not like fake, but it's more just like I'm showing to you guys that I care, but caring is really you are talking to people about what they think is best for their people. And you are going out and actively joining them in, like we've had protests for so many things. There was a protest for the pipeline, but then in recent times, there have been the Black Lives Matter protest and it's going out and it's joining them. And it's trying to add your name to those lists that show that you do not want to support a system that is basically oppressing minority groups i think that there's also a distinction to be made about how you can support and not to make it seem to to like you're you're trying to show something rather like than trying to do something
3: yeah um, I, I, activism i think that's the term the umbrella term we talking mm-hmm. about yeah. Like, I think like uh, saying you support something for the clout, for lack of a better word, than actually actually supporting it with action.
2: I, yeah, I agree with that. I was thinking about that this summer because a lot of people started posting on their Instagrams and Facebooks and stuff about <laughs> and stuff like that. But it was all like trendy, and it's not it's not that popular anymore. I think the best thing that that we can do at our age, I think, is like probably like learning about it and educating ourselves, and then. In the future when the opportunity presents itself or like we can push for actual change ourselves because we're basically the future.
0: I like that too and I because I think about how and we talked a little about this in the race class that we did is these false ideas that we have been taught about both ourselves but about each other too and so when I think about solidarity as a white person as someone who also has resources and I feel like have, have learned a lot of the things that you all learned too. When I think about like the indigenous learnings or mislearnings, I did not learn. When I think about solidarity, I, I also think about how white supremacy, for instance, is so harmful to so many people, including myself. And I think that it does also harm white people that it, it takes away the humanity and the the humanness that that we should be. So I think that's also part of the struggle. And to say, how, how can we all be free from these violent structures around us that hurt people in different ways? It manifests differently, of course, for me than someone else. And I have to keep on picking that apart too that I benefit off a particular system, but it's also harmful if I'm to think that we are one human family. And how do we break down those divisions and see where our commonalities lie?
2: I feel like, uh, like growing up, it's like grow up, become successful. And then like, it's like this ladder you climb in class and like economic class and social class. And you're like stepping on people under you, I guess. And that's that's.
4: Yep, exactly. I think the idea is to kind of take down the ladder so we're all on the same playing field. It's level, it's equal. And instead of climbing on top of each other, we can move together mm-hmm. opposed to against each other. Mm-hmm. And I think another way to think of, you know, solidarity is if something hurts you, it hurts me too because it hurt you. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Something that is offensive to you, something that is hurtful to you, something that is damaging to you damages me also because we are more like than we are different. Like you said, we're part of the same human family. And family is connectedness, it's closeness, it's community. And we're all part of one big community. And I think that's mm-hmm. just a good way
3: to think about it. Mm-hmm. For sure. And there was, there was something you said in class the other day that really like hit me. And it was that confusion is good. We were all um, having a bit of an introspective moment, I think, and looking inside of ourselves, or at least I was. And I was really thinking about all the things that I said and done that have hurt other people in ways that I didn't intend to. Or that I thought I was being supportive, and maybe I wasn't doing that so much. But confusion is good, and you have to have that to figure out the right way to go. And it might take you a few tries, um, exactly. but confusion is good.
0: And it's okay if we mess up. We just pick ourselves up, keep going.
1: <laughs> um, and going off that idea that like confusion is good, I remember a while ago when we watched... I I can't remember what it was, but we watched a video in class and I remember after we talked about it and the first thing I said was that it made me really angry and that anger is this thing where people tend to view it as a bad thing, but I think that anger can lead to passion and it's like you see something wrong and you get angry about it and then you just, you have to do something about it. And I think that is what, a lot of people are feeling right now is that anger Mm. and then trying to um, funnel it into something that is helpful
0: for other people for sure right because I think that we're seeing a lot of brutality uh, around us and have for a while but I think it's really come to the fore with with the pandemic and so yeah I think Nayara in that moment I think your anger actually gave you a lot of clarity which can be helpful for sure Bula were you going to say something
2: I was gonna to be honest thing about taking down the ladder I was gonna say that sounds so utopian but that's also like like that's my complacency with like how things are right now that's like I've become used to that the idea of a ladder and, and moving forward in life and trying to like achieve that success or comfort like comfort in life I guess.
4: Even when I said upper class mobility, that was my complacency too, and thinking that the only way to beat the system is to join the system and just make more money. If you just make more money, everything's gonna be fine. Yeah. If you become rich, everything's gonna be okay. But that's that's not necessarily the truth. And what Ms. Professor said um, about just understanding like your own biases and how you might benefit from certain systems. Even me being minority myself, there are better ways that I could support other minorities. I don't know everything, and just coming to that own understanding for myself of I could be a better ally for everybody. I think is really important. And it's something that you need to digest and need to think about as minority yourself. Because I may know how to, how to help my community, but I did have to learn about Indigenous history because I'm not Indigenous myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to train myself to help them in the way that they desire to be helped. And they mm-hmm. feel they need to be helped.
0: And I think also, I'm just thinking, I, I, you know, for me, I don't know if I would say it's your complacency. I would say it's the automatic, like, we have been entrenched in ideas that come out of us all the time whether it's like white supremacist type stuff, because that is like the structure, whether it's um, this blame the victim stuff, like I said in, well, we have, we'll have class tomorrow, but then in the other class, like the blame the victim stuff, we do it ourselves because we have been taught to do that. We've been taught to hate poor people. And that sounds strong, but that we have been taught that. All the things that you all said about what you've been taught about indigenous people. And so, you know, we have been taught what you just said, That we need to work hard and climb a ladder in order to do well and then you have succeeded and so it's like it just comes out so automatically and just as like we say wait a minute this isn't the whole story about uh native americans there's something else something else must have happened like what what are they saying what is their story And I like actually, Brianna, you had said way earlier in the discussion about how it brings up more questions for you. And that's a really important piece, I think, is what are the questions that we're asking? Like, what are you seeing that is not okay to keep investigating and keep questioning? This is Anna for Indigo Radio, and you have been listening to a conversation with my UMass first year students talking about Indigenous health, solidarity, and A solid, uh, unanimous support for abolishing Columbus Day. And I want to give a big thank you to Nayara, Bula, Katie, and Brianna for spending the hour with Indigo Radio. And uh, we're going to go out today with a song that commemorates Leonard Peltier. Leonard Peltier is a Native American activist that has spent over 40 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And he is now, I believe, 74 years old, and people have been fighting for a long time to get him free. And he wrote a letter, uh, this was from 2004, and he said, I am a sun dancer. I took a vow for my people I chose to seek the creator's will and to follow it to the best of my ability. I will not stand down from that vow. I will continue to speak, write and organize until grandfather himself quiets my life. If I can do this in prison, I have no doubt you can do much better from where you stand. So I think that going out today, let's celebrate indigenous day. And as all of my students said, that it goes far beyond just the symbolic day uh, of commemoration tomorrow. We're gonna go out with this song that is called The Beat Goes On, a tribute to Leonard Peltier. Thanks all for listening and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.
5: Took most of your life, dirty long knives To you I fly this kind, to let you know I fear to strive Clinton cheats on his wife, he had no alibi Promised you a pardon, but they were all white lies But he gave unto his brother-in-law, that crooked-ass bastard A new millennium and we still slaves to the masters Pale cheered thirty years, denied parole Denied a fair trial, that's just the way it goes. But the beat goes on from my ancestral drums. War, patent, AK's, devils, here we come. We'll never bow down, Mr. Bush will call you Majesty. Pale tears, a political prisoner, we demand amnesty and immunity. From all my native community, Together we stand, divided we fall in unity The struggle continues, never forget wounded me In 1890, Ogalala, 1973 Two of yours were killed compared to our millions Your own damn people blown up government buildings People live in glass houses, shouldn't throw stones Pale tear my brother, man, you are not alone Doing time for a crime that you didn't commit The government is guilty of more than that shit Murder one, theft, false imprisonment and rape Trespassers, strong-armed robbery and hate Kidnapping, slavery and other hate crimes You think I hate your people just because you hate mine? People like to play. There's a native on my flag, Had my medicine bag riding shotgun with Leonard and my warrior syndicate. Wanna pick up his check for the wrongful imprisonment It's a damn shame, isn't it? The justice and filthy. Where's the burden of proof in the city until proven guilty? Where is all the evidence? Release the hidden documents You're sick on the slam with the only true occupants place in concentration, our known as reservations We can't beat them with violence, we're we'll beating with education Take a nation the millions to hold me back, y'all Together we're unstoppable, we'll divided we fall So that brings to my attention What makes me feel ill Let's talk about a church on top of a hill Spill the lies when you try to expose the real movement It's a mental war and it leaves room for improvement The shoes fit your sellouts, you can get the hell out Free pale tear is what I'm gonna yell out why do our people sway For the white man's ways Where's your heart My brothers Remember the good old days When we were all about The chance Ancestors flipping in graves I'm a native pioneer So a path I will pay. Spend thirty years Of misery For my man L.P. Why must he suffer When he's really not guilty To all my warriors And pale tears lawyers I pray to the creators And my prayers are there for you And shout those out To the magnificent seven And to all my warriors that I'm sitting up in heaven to the innocent lies